Blog Talk Radio. Fly ball left field. Hit out of line. It's deep. And it's gone. A home run. Took it away. McKenna around third. Throw from the outfield is up the line. Inside the park. Home run. How about it? First chance to hit 400. And Miguel Cabrera delivers. Incredible. And good afternoon and welcome to the Bless You Boys podcast for Saturday, June the 6th, 2015. I'm your host, Hookslide, and uh, normally I'd say I'm happy to be joining you for our weekly breakdown of Tigers baseball, but, well, it's it's been a breakdown, all right, just not the kind that we always enjoy talking about. Certainly more about that in a minute. If you're a first-time listener, the Bless You Boys podcast is a feature of the Bless You Boys website, SB Nation's Detroit Tigers blog. You can find us online at www.blessyouboys.com, on Twitter, at Bless you Boys, and on Facebook. If you just search for Bless You Boys, like our page, and then you will get our content in your timeline. And joining me for today's Spin on the Merry-Go-Round is our friend from Fox Sports Detroit, your voice of the Tigers on television, Mario Impemba, is our guest today. And Mario, it's great to have you back on the show. Well, it looks like I appreciate it. It's great to be back. Unfortunately, uh, we're not talking under really good conditions today. I was kind of hopeful the Tigers would have won last night, but uh, you all know what happened, so we'll just try and get through it. Yeah, well, you know, maybe we can uh, lighten things up a little bit here, tell some jokes, maybe do some impersonations, and just get the fans, you know, <laughs> get, their, get their minds off baseball for a while. <laughs> uh, before we well, dive into the different uh, – go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, I don't do very many good personations, so I'm going to lean on you for that. So uh, we'll try and keep the light going. I think last time I did impersonations, I nearly got fired, so I will steer well wide of that topic. Uh, before we get into the different uh, Tigers-related topics that we have on tap today, Mario, I wanted to catch up with you and ask you how things are going with the Military Veterans Program, that program where you've been hosting groups of veterans and their guests for Monday home games. I know we talked a bit about this on the program last year. How is that going this year, and what sorts of early successes are you already seeing? Well, it's I appreciate you bringing that up. I mean, it, it's uh, it's been a tremendously rewarding program uh, that we started a couple of years ago, and, and I decided that, you know, I'd like to bring some veterans out to a ball game, and we, we kind of worked out a program that we call MVP, the Military Veterans Program, where on each Monday home game we'll, we'll buy 30 tickets uh, to bring 30 veterans and their families out to the ball game. We give them a T-shirt. We'll feed them. Uh, we give them transportation via the Fox Sports Detroit Express. And, you know, they can come out and enjoy Tigers baseball, which I think is important because in talking with a lot of them, they, you know, once they come back from, from either combat or serving overseas or even domestically here, they really don't have the means to, to go to a Tigers game and enjoy Tigers baseball, and they love the team so much. So um, it's been rewarding mm-hmm. to, to kind of meet with them before every Monday home game and, you know, hand out the tickets and the T-shirts and the food and, just let them have at it and enjoy Tigers baseball. So we do it every Monday night, every Monday home game that we have at Comerica Park, and so far so good. And, you know, some of the looks on the faces of these veterans really makes it all worthwhile. Right. You know, I think they appreciate it, and we appreciate them. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's a great tie-in when you talk about individuals that are that are giving of their of their service in that way for this country. That's kind of the ultimate patriotism, and I, I think, you know, well, what's more American and more patriotic than enjoying baseball in the summer? That's got to be a great a great feeling for them and for you. Yeah, it is. And, you know, I, I think, you know, we, we had a situation a couple of years ago, actually it was about six or seven years ago, where we developed the Operation Opening Day DVD. And, and that's really how this whole 
idea started. We wanted to bring opening day to our veterans that couldn't be here in Detroit, you know, for one of the great um, the great things that, that happens in the city, and that's, of course, opening day. It's a big party. It's a festival, and everybody loves it. But a lot of these veterans were overseas and couldn't come to opening day. So I, you know, concocted the idea of let's just make a DVD and ship it out to them no matter where we, where they were in the world. And uh, we did that for about five or six years, and there was good success there. But, you know, once we started the MVP program, I just saw that there was more bang for our buck in actually getting these veterans out to the ballpark, and I think they really appreciate it. And it was, it was more of a tangible thing for them. And, and so we, we decided to put all the money in the DVD into the uh, MVP, and, and um, you know, so far so good. Well, it's certainly a great program. I'm all in favor of it. Uh, I wish you continued success with that. And as we uh, kind of shift topics here to talk about uh, Tigers baseball, I also wanted to kind of talk a little bit with you, Mario, about life in the booth, kind of get your inside perspective. Again, always interesting to hear, you know, the perspective of the people that are actually following the team up close and personal. And uh, one of the one of the questions we were kicking around uh, as, as a staff here at Bless You Boys last week uh, is is this uh, idea that there, you don't find a lot of uh, play-by-play announcers in the in the game today who have uh, professional major league experience, and you have certain exceptions like George Kell, of course, you know, Hall of Fame third baseman that uh, did the play-by-play for the Tigers for so long. Uh, if you want to talk about modern day, you've got right there in Chicago, uh, Ken the Hawk Harrelson is the play-by-play announcer for the White Sox. But it's just not a very typical thing to have. And so I was, we were kind of curious, you being the play-by-play guy, not coming from a professional major league background, how heavily do you rely on the analysts in the booth for that kind of sort of insider baseball experience? And how much of that do you just naturally pick up over the years? Well, a little bit of both. I mean, obviously, um, you, you've got to depend on your analysts because they've been through the wars. I mean, they, they, they know firsthand what, it's, what it takes and what it's like to play at the major league level. Um, you know, certainly that's not me. I mean, I played high school baseball like most of us play on the sandlots as kids. And, you know, I remember when I first started broadcasting baseball professionally uh, in the minor leagues, and my first year was 1987 in Peoria, Illinois, broadcasting for the Chicago Cubs Class A affiliate. And, you know, I took that job thinking I knew everything about baseball. I thought I knew the game inside mm-hmm. and out. And all it took was maybe a month or two that summer, you know, hanging around uh, pro players and coaches and managers and guys that played in the big leagues to realize I knew nothing about the game. I really didn't. And then that's why spending close to 10 years broadcasting in the minor leagues, I think, is critical for me because it allowed me to learn the game. It allowed me to learn the nuances of the game, let alone how to broadcast the game. I mean, you, you know, you're working on your own craft, but at the same time, you're trying to learn the game as well. And um, and that's continued through the major leagues, whether it's with Kurt Gibson or Jack Morris or Rod Allen, uh, Rex Hudler, or, you know, any Jerry Royce, any of the former big leaguers that I've worked with uh, along the way. You learn things every single day. And, and the minute you try to stop learning is, is the minute you stop advancing your career. So, you know, I used to walk in the, in the, uh, the office of Jim Leland when he was a manager, and there would be so many times when I'd listen to him speak and think, man, I never looked at the game from – you know, that point of view or what it's like to be in the mm-hmm. dugout managing a game, you learn the challenges that they go through. And so that's how you learn the game. You lean on them heavily. There's no doubt. And you mentioned just now uh, pairing up with like Rod Allen and, and Jack Morris earlier this year. 
Uh, talk a little bit about the different approaches that you take, Mario. I think one of the things you're really good at at your craft is setting up those guys in the booth to really play to their strengths. But with Rod Allen, who is obviously a former position player, uh, Jack Morris is a former pitcher. They're coming from kind of two different sides of the game. Uh, how do you change your approach when you're paired up with those two different uh, individuals and how you set them up to play off their expertise? Well, it, it, it's certainly different. I don't think there's any question about that. You know, I think at times my job is just to be the point guard on the floor and, and just, you know, kind of facilitate the broadcast. And, you know, you've got to know what kind of weapons you have. And when we have Rod, I can talk about, you know, really a wide range of things. I can talk about offense. I can talk about game situations. I can talk about what it's like to manage because he's done that in the minor leagues. You know, what it's like to scout because he's done that. You know, with Jack Morris, I mean, you, you're talking about one of the best big game pitchers ever in the history of the game. Um, and, you know, for, for an example, I did a three-game series in Chicago here last month with Jack Morris and Chris Sale was pitching, and we were talking about how a lot of teams did not want to draft Chris Sale because they were afraid because of his physical frame and because of his delivery he would break down eventually. And so Jack and I got into a conversation about that, and, um, you know, you can do things like that a little bit more with Jack than you could with Rod because Rod never pitched. Yet on the flip side, you can talk – you know, hitting intricacies with Rod because he was a hitting instructor. So, you know, you've got to know what kind of weapons you have and you've got to know what the strengths of your analysts are. And, you know, once Gibby rejoins us, hopefully in the booth, we can talk about what it's like to manage games and what it's like to uh, to handle players and what it's like to handle a clubhouse and, and things like that. So um, that's how I approach it. Um, but in the end, it's all baseball. And these guys can talk about a wide range of topics. And I'm not afraid to ask, you know, those guys questions about really anything in the game. Mm-hmm. Very good. We're talking with Mario and Pemba here from uh, Fox Sports Detroit here on the Bless You Boys podcast. Coming more to current events, Mario, the Tigers are in a pretty rough stretch of frustrating baseball right now and kind of stay in the perspective of what it's like to be in the booth. I was thinking the other day that as a broadcaster, when you're having a good game played out in front of you, when, you, when you've got Miguel Cabrera hitting a home run with two outs in the ninth off of Mario, Mariano Rivera, you really get to let your emotions into that. You can actually kind of, you know, you have to say something like, you want some of this, come and get some. Uh, but that doesn't <laughs> seem to be the case, you know, in the reverse. When it's frustrating baseball, uh, do you find that it's, it's a little bit difficult to, to sort of mask the personal disappointment as you're calling the games? Well, you have to. Uh, at least that's my opinion. Now, there are others that would disagree with me. I think Hawk Harrelson here in Chicago is, is a prime example of that. But Hawk's a different guy. I mean, he's... You know, he, he's Hawk Harrelson. I mean, he's he's played in the big leagues. He's been a GM. You know, he's done a lot of things in the game, and Hawk kind of does his own thing. Um, you know, but for me, I've always felt that the best way to do games is to handle them as professionally as, as possible and, and to, to kind of stay right in the middle. I mean, I'm a, look, I'm a Tigers fan. I grew up in Detroit. I want to see the team win. I mean, I, I'm tired of, of looking back at the last World Series the Tigers have won, and you got to dig back to 1984. I'm like anybody else that follows this team. I really, really want them to win. And, you know, there are, there have been a lot of disappointments, you know, the last couple of years because we've had good teams. We've gotten to the World Series and just haven't finished the job. You know, last year getting bumped after three games in the, in the ALDS. I mean, those things are extremely disappointing. But when you look at it on a night-by-night basis, you know, the one thing that I've learned over almost 30 years of doing this at every level is, is that it's not football. It's not basketball and it's not hockey. And I say this over and over to folks trying to explain it. Um, you know, you can't get caught up on every single night. You've got you to look at the long picture. And sometimes that's tough to do. Last night it was really tough to do. 
you know, when you lose a game like the Tigers lost last night, uh, you kind of mm-hmm. hang your head, um, you know, but you got to dig yourself up and, and approach it like the next day is a new day. But the thing we have to deal with is we are so concentrated on doing our jobs and executing the broadcast that the result is almost secondary. And then when the game ends, that's when it all sinks in. Because if I worry about, you know, whether or not Joaquin Soria is going to get that third out of the ninth inning, I'm not executing what I'm up there to execute. And so, hmm. you know, it, it's almost secondary. The game is almost secondary until it's over. You can either enjoy it or you can either be ticked off. And last night, we certainly ticked off. Hmm. And I wonder, too, how much of that is uh, – how do I want to put this? Um, the, the way that you and Rod handle – those moments, you know, when when here we are coming up on an eight-game losing streak, and you know, Joaquin Soria is inexplicably blowing the game in the ninth inning. Uh, that the way that the tone that you guys set in the booth, in some way, I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, can can sort of shape the way that the fan reaction is. Because I think if you guys are up there losing your minds and saying, "Oh, you've got to be kidding me, not again," uh, that does can that not spiral out of control in terms of influencing the way the the fan base reacts. Oh, I agree with that 100%. Um, I, I really do, and, and I think that's why part of our job, and again, this is my opinion, some might disagree, but I think part of our job is to, to maintain order and maintain control, even when things are going bad. I mean, you know, I think back to the uh, Armando Galarraga perfect game, and, and I got criticized so much after that game for not laying in Jim Joyce and, and not laying in the situation and not showing my disappointment, but, you know, Honestly, you know, this game is played by humans. Uh, there was human error in that game, and it cost the guy a perfect game. But if I go on the air and vilify Jim Joyce, you know, after the game and, and tell people, tell Tiger fans to revolt, you know, it, it's not a good thing. It's not good for the game. And, and so you have to maintain some semblance of order. You know, I, a lot of times games are controlled chaos for us in the booth. And when things are happening as quickly as they happened last night, you know, that, that becomes chaotic in the booth. But if you get caught up in that, the fans are going to get caught up in that and everything spirals out of control. Um, you know, I think we're all, um, you know, we all have to control our emotions the best we can. When you're in the booth, you have to learn how to do that. Some do it better than others. And I think I've learned that over the years that, you know, in the end, and I, and I hate to put it this way, but in the end, it is still just a game. You still go home to your families after the game. You see your kids are still healthy. You know, you're, you're still doing well in life, and that's what you have to kind of keep your, your perspective on. But I do understand the, the passion of Tigers fans, and, and, and it can get disappointing. Sure, and you mentioned the uh, the Jim Joyce-Armado Galarraga game is a case in point, you know, where, where you got criticized for maybe not showing as much emotion. But it's funny you should bring that up because in that particular case, the way things panned out, I think today with you know Galarraga bringing out the lineup card and, and Jim Joyce saying the things that he did and sort of reconciling that a little bit, uh, you know, if, if you had really gone off on him the night before, that he might have ended up eating a little bit of crow the next day. Yeah, I agree, and and that's why you have to look at each individual situation with some objectivity. Sometimes it's hard to do that. Believe me. I mean, we're up there, you know, Rod and I, you guys don't hear what we say between innings, you know, when the commercials are running. We're just as as, as ticked off and as frustrated as, as all of you people. Believe me, we are. But, you know, once we come back from break, you, you've got to be professional. And you're right. Had we had we just blown up after that game and then, you know, the next day they come out and shake hands and Bellarag gets a new car and everything is hunky-dory, you know, we kind of look like fools. So uh, you've got to maintain <laughs> control, and that's that's what we try and do. In this particularly rough stretch of baseball, uh, 
as I listen to you know the various callers calling into sports radio programs or seeing what's happening in the Tigers Nation on Twitter, it seems like there are a lot of people at this point that want to pin the blame on the manager, fire Brad Osmus, fire the coaches, you know, fire Jeff Jones, fire Wally. George. I heard one guy actually suggest that we fire Dave Dombrowski, which was I thought a great suggestion. And uh, it just seems to me, Mario, that during slumps like these, um, that, that that tends to be the, the go-to. So let's let's get rid of all the management. But do managers and coaches really have enough impact on a game-by-game a basis to account for what's happening right now? No, in my opinion, no. I mean, don't don't get me wrong; they do have some impact. Um, you know, but think back to two thousand and six. You know, there were signs after the Tigers, you know, beat Oakland, go to the World Series. There were signs in the stands, you know, Leland Vermeer, you know, and the next year they want to play. <laughs> I mean, it, it's it's just the nature of the game, and it's the nature of human beings. And I'm no different than anybody else, but the one unique perspective that I have or that Dan Dickerson has or anybody following the team on a daily basis is, is that you know how difficult this game is. You come to learn how difficult it is. Television makes this game look so easy. Television makes Miguel Cabrera look like he's invincible, that he's not a human being, you know, that he's some kind of robot, you know. And and, and look at Ian Kinsler. Kinsler is a, a really, really good big league player, but he's going through it right now. J.D. Martinez is going through it right now. A lot of guys are, and television makes this game look so easy. But the one thing that – the one – thing that we have as broadcasters that the average fan doesn't have is the ability to follow this team on a daily basis and realize how difficult it is to get up on a day game after a night game when you played 18 straight, how difficult it is to get through the month of August and September when your body is so beat up and your mind is so mentally beat up. This is not an easy game. And, you know, you can't, you can't pin the blame on a manager for a bad stretch. I mean, look at the Royals right now. They've lost eight of ten. Okay, the Tigers have lost eight of ten as well. The difference is the Tigers have lost eight in a row. So people want Brad Austin's fired. People wanted Ned Yost fired last year, and he got him to the World Series. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I think we too, do tend to put too much of the blame or, um, you know, the, the reason for success on the managers and coaches and, and uh, you know, the hitting instructors and, and the GMs, all these people, these ancillary people. The bottom line is, play, bottom line is players have to perform. And if players don't perform, Nobody looks good. If players do perform, everybody looks good, including the broadcasters. Um, you know, I've gotten some tweets <laughs> over this eight-game stretch that that I could not dare read on this on this podcast or, or publicly because <laughs> oh, sure you could. Just, oh, <laughs> well, I mean, some guys wish death upon the broadcasters because we've lost eight in a row. I mean, it, it really is wow. that bad. Um, yeah, so. You know, that's when you're kind of you've lost touch with reality, and that's when it gets a little bit scary. Um, but that's a long way of answering your original question. But no, I don't think you can put all that on the manager or the GM or the pitching coach or the hitting coach. No, and Ned Yost is a, is a great point of departure for that because uh, he was almost universally hated by his own fan base last year, uh, obviously prior to them getting into the playoffs when it looked like they weren't going to make it. Uh, nobody in Kansas City liked Ned Yost. And and the funny thing is, even outside of his fan base, a lot of other fan bases were getting to pick up on the fact that, man, this guy's a terrible strategist in the way that he's always trying to play for the one-run innings and he's bunting too much and he doesn't bring in his best relievers in key situations because it's you know it's not the seventh inning yet. And I got to thinking about that. It just seems like, you know, even if even if we concede the point that Brad Osmus is the absolute worst strategist in the game today, he's worse than Ned Yost, 
as you mentioned, Ned Yost still got his team. Even if he didn't get there, the Royals got to the World Series, even if you believe it's in spite of Ned Yost. Yeah, and a lot of people felt that. And, and, and again, it gets to my bottom line. You know, Ned Yost uh, didn't throw a single pitch or take a, a single swing last year or take a single at bat. I mean, it, it's – you know, I talk to Leland about this a lot. You know, how many games does a manager actually impact? And Jim was always big on, look, it's about the players. The game has always been about the players. Let's let's not get that crossed up or twisted. And I agree with that 100%. You know, now, you're right. Can Can a manager, you know – do something in the eighth inning that, you know, others might not have done that would have won a game. Well, you know, what, was was it a bad idea last night for Brad Ausmus to, to bring Soria in in the eighth inning, get that final out, but he gave up a two-out home run? Well, you know, he didn't do that. He made a decision to bring in his guy early, and he got that big out in the eighth inning. You know, and, and sometimes he was criticized for not bringing the guy in to get the out in the eighth inning. Well, he did it last night. He still lost. So, um, yeah, it's, it's maddening sometimes. Hindsight is always is is the greatest thing in the world. You know, if you can look back after mm. everything has happened and decide I wouldn't have done it that way, well, I mean, that's easy to do. But sit there on the bench in split second and make those decisions. Um, I just found it funny last year that, that Ned Yost just got killed. Just got killed. <laughs> and they got within, you know, one inning of winning the World Series. So uh, it's kind of poetic justice for Ned, I suppose. Oh, it really is. And we uh, actually talked to the managing editor of the Royals Review, SB Nation's uh, Kansas City Royals site editor, uh, on the podcast a few weeks ago. And we talked a little bit about, you know, the Ned Yost approval rating last year. The funny thing is, is this year his approval rating is sky high in terms of the fan base. And everyone loves Ned Yost. But that's, uh, I guess, something Tigers fans maybe need to kind of keep in perspective that this team goes on a, a bit of a winning streak. And suddenly Brad Osmus is everybody's golden boy. And now it's, you know, Leland for president again. Well, it is, and you know, I look back to that 2012 team when when the Tigers. I think they got off to a nine and three start that year. By the time June rolled around, there were four games under 500. People were, you know, they're calling for Leland's head, and you know, the Tigers are the worst team in baseball. Then all of a sudden, they caught fire and won like 18 games in the month of September. They win 88 games and go to the World Series. And you know, that's that's the ebb and flow of baseball. You know, if the Tigers go out and win tonight behind David Price and then beat Jeff Samarja tomorrow. All of a sudden, they've won two in a row. They righted the ship, and people are just, they're happy again. Um, you know, the emotions that come out of the game of baseball are fascinating sometimes because you don't have time to stew, man. I mean, you've got a game the very next day, and if you lose another one, then the emotions just kind of ramp up again. So, uh, again, it's not like the other sports where if the Lions lose on Sunday, you know, you got five days to figure out what you want to do and five days to cool down. You don't get to cool down in baseball. I mean, you're you're back out there the next day, and that's why I think you have such a swing of emotions in the game of baseball. Mm-hmm. We're talking with Mario Pemba, the Tigers play-by-play announcer for Fox Sports Detroit here on the Bless You Boys podcast. Mario, if you don't mind, let's go down a little bit of a rabbit trail. You talked a little bit about last night and what happened with Joaquin Soria and uh, Brad Osmond's strategy of bringing him in for the four-out save. And uh, honestly, you know, I here on Bless You Boys, our staff, our audience, we're, we're very much more kind of the advanced metrics oriented anyway. And a lot of us were were calling for Osmus to finally start using Soria in those situations and saying, you know, don't be automatic. Don't say it's the eighth inning. Go to Jabba Chamberlain. You know, play play a little more strategy. And I've got to tell you, I think he made all the right moves last night. He played the matchups, the lefty on lefty. He had Jabba in there, but not for the whole inning. And then he went to his ace. 
in Soria to go ahead and get the four-out save, Mr. Automatic, and lo and behold, with two outs in the ninth, he gives up the home run. And it just seems like, at this point, Mario, this has got to be beyond just uh, mental mistakes, you know, or hiccups in the game. This this has got to be just a bad run of very, very bad luck. Well, I think it is. And I think you get that in baseball sometimes. I mean, I you know, but again, they go out tonight and win behind Dave Price, and then everybody feels good in the clubhouse, and all of a sudden they rip off four or five in a row, and, and things are okay again. Um, but, you know, I'm seeing things that are that are just – you're right. It's just one of those funks that you get in in baseball, and sometimes it's hard to pull yourself out of those funks. I mean, I'm looking at some of the at-bats that J.D. Martinez has had recently, and, you know, they just haven't been good. Some of the at-bats that Ian Kinsler has had recently, these are not, you know, at-bats that we saw from these guys last year or even early this year. And I think that's a product of when you get in a stretch like this, you try and do too much to get out of it. Um, and I agree with you last night. You know, when Java came in and I saw Brad take Java out in the middle of the inning, I said, yes, finally, you know, mm. we're not going to stay with the same guy for the entire inning. Let's go and get our closer, get this final out, and go win this game. Um, you know, I think back to my to my early days in the big leagues broadcasting with the Angels. Uh, the Angels had Troy Percival at the time. And, and in 1995, in the month of August, the Angels had a 12-game lead. And all of a sudden, September rolls around and Seattle caught them. And they blew a 12-game lead with about a month and a half to go. And night after night, we saw the same thing. We saw the seventh-inning guy, the eighth-inning guy, and then Percival in the ninth. Well, you know, sometimes games are won and lost in the seventh inning. So why not bring your closer in in the seventh or eighth inning? Who says the closer has to pitch the ninth? And I didn't believe that then, but, you know, that, that season taught me something. that you got to win games when you can win them. And I was just real glad to see – Soria come in in the eighth inning, and, and I understand why managers don't like to do it. Believe me, I get it, but um, you're right. He pushed every button correctly last night, and they still lost, and that's why baseball is a great game, I suppose. <laughs> uh, well, I wouldn't know if I'd say it's a great game, at least not in that example. It can be a very maddening game, but you're right. I think Brad Osmus pushed all the right buttons last night, and somehow every button was attached to the sad trombone sound. Uh, what can you do about it? They just seem like they're maybe... Maybe a little bit snake bit right now, but that's, like you said, that's baseball. That's these weird stretches. I can't imagine that this team is going to stay on that track, not with as good as a roster as they have. Well, how do you lose on a walk-off hit-by-pitch with two strikes on the hitter? I mean, how does that happen? You know, but it happened last night, and you're right. I mean, maybe they are snake bit, and you're just looking for ways to lose now. But uh, I – look, I – firmly believe, and, and I think, you know, we're going to be sitting here a month from now looking back at this and going, well, it's just one of those stretches. You know, they've righted the ship. I really, really do believe that. You know, I, I think that the guys they have coming back, Verlander, you know, Rondon, Avila, and uh, and Martinez, you know, they're going to need those guys to come back and perform like they've performed in the past. And if they do, I think they'll right the ship. Um, there are some concerning signs with the uh, the starting rotation and the fact that they haven't been real consistent. And obviously, the offense is not that consistent. But there's just – I just fail to believe and refuse to believe that this team is, you know, uh, a team that's going to be 10 games under 500 the rest of the way, you know, or, or finish 10 under 500. It just doesn't make sense to me. There's just too much talent. And, you know, the, the, the history of these guys proves that – or at least says that they should be able to come back and, and put together a solid season, and I firmly believe that. Hmm. Now let me let me tap into your previous experience uh, with this team because I know you've been calling games for this club now since what 2002. It's uh, you're on your like 14th year of doing this, 
And uh, the comparison has come up. This is the uh, the eight-game losing streak. It's the first time they've lost that many games in a row since 2005. Can you take us back, because you were calling games for the Tigers at that time, take us back to 2005 when they did have that eight-game losing streak, uh, and maybe tie that into what you were just saying about this particular team and the talent you see on this team. Was that same? Was that also true in 2005, or was, is there kind of a difference between the team makeups? Well, I think there's a big difference between the team makeups. You know, 2005, I think that the Tigers were still trying to, to gain their footing. I mean, they, they were just two years removed from the, you know, the ugly 2003 season when they lost 119 games. And, you know, that ball club, you know, they had Pudge Rodriguez who came over. They had Chris Shelton who had, a you know, a great start to that year and was hitting home runs. And, um, you know, they, they had a, a pretty good solid core. You know, the difference was I don't think their lineup was quite as deep uh, as the Tigers lineup is right now. And, you know, pitching-wise, I mean, they, they still had guys like, you know, Jeremy Bonderman and Mike Bonoff and Nate Robertson you know, on the staff, and, and Verlander was still a very young pitcher. Um, this is more of an established team. This is a team that's been there, done that. And that team was not a team. That, that team was a team that was just trying to get there. And, you know, little did we know it was only going to be one more year before they got there. Uh, to the World Series in 06. But this is a more established team with, with guys that are expected to win. I don't still don't believe, even though they had Pudge Rodriguez on that team, that they were expected to win and get to the postseason. So expectations in baseball are a big thing. They're very, very big, and they're tough to deal with sometimes. I know I quote Jim Leland a lot, but I learned a lot of baseball from him. And, and he said, mm-hmm. sometimes managing your players is nothing compared to managing the expectations of the fans and the organization, the GM, and everybody else. Um, so I, I think that's one of the big differences uh, in the ballpark. And if we can fast forward from 2005 to 2012, we've touched on that just a little bit, and obviously there are some similarities there just in terms of uh, you know the record, where they're at right now in the standings. Uh, obviously in 2012 there was a stretch of, I looked it up the other day, there was a stretch of 52 games in 2012 where they were playing most of it under 500, where they were in third place for that whole stretch. Uh, they got through the, the whole first half of the season into their 81st game, still four and a half games back. Um, but some things happened after you know after the uh, the All Star break, and uh, some people have brought up the fact that one of the uh, the moves that Dave Dombrowski made at the time was he went out and got I want to say it was uh, Anibal Sanchez was one of the pickups that year at the deadline or close to it, uh, and also picked up Omar Infante. Uh, so there was some you know a bit of a roster shuffle and trying to make the team better at, at the deadline. I know I'm asking you know to kind of look gaze into your crystal ball here, but as we as we are about a month or so out from July and and the trading starts to you know the rumors start flying, where do you see Dave Dombrowski going, uh, and where do you think he should go? Well, you know I I think that coming into the season, one of the main things uh, that I looked at, one of the main concerns I had was losing Max Scherzer and Rick Porcello. You know I didn't know how deep this rotation was going to be. And that was with Verlander, you know, even when he was healthy at the time. Um, so I, I, I think, you know, what Shane Green has showed us is that he's going to be an inconsistent pitcher right now because he's still a young guy. Um, and, and many experts say you really don't see, a, uh, you know, the, the true mark of a pitcher until his third year, third full year in the major leagues. So we're still waiting to see that from Shane. You know, Simon has had a really good start to this year and has been one of the most consistent starters the Tigers have had yet. His second half last year gives us, you know, a little bit of pause because he, he really struggled in the second half with Brad. So, you know, I don't think you can ever have enough pitching. I really don't. Um, I think the Tigers still right now are short a left-handed bat. I, I think they're very 
right-handed heavy. Um, so, I, you know, I think that Dave is probably going to look in that vein. And, you know, we always figured that you try and help the bullpen out at, at the deadline. And, um, you know, last year the Tigers came really close to acquiring Andrew Miller along with David Price on the same day. And had that happened, you know, they probably don't lose the ball in that first round because he's pitching for them instead of the Orioles. So, um, you know, I, I think you try and improve your team any way you can. Um, but I, I think that pitching is always, to me, the most important thing, especially down the stretch. I think you win games, and I think you win the postseason solid pitching. So I think Dave will probably look in that respect. Um, and, you know, you can always, if you can always add a solid left-handed bat and maybe strengthen the bench, I think the bench needs some strengthening too. Uh, those are the areas for me. But, um, you know, I think those things start to play out. I think it's still a little bit early. You know, we've got – about a month and a half before the trading deadline. And we'll, you know, we'll see what the, what the ball club is on July 1st. Yeah, it's a good point. I mean, it's, it's kind of hard to predict which way they're going to go in July when, when we're not in July and seeing kind of what needs are really starting to surface as consistent needs versus just, you know, hey, we've got some flukes going on here. Um, we're talking with uh, Mario and Pemba of Fox Sports Detroit here on the Bless You Boys podcast. And Mario, as we start to wrap up the show, um, what would you say as you're, as you're kind of hanging around the team, you know, traveling with the team day in and day out, what is the the prevailing mood right now in the Tigers clubhouse? And I, I would imagine it's it could be anywhere from mystified confusion to you know, irritated frustration, or, or people are maybe they're just patient and cool and calm and collected. Where do you where do you feel like they are right now when you take their pulse? Well, if they're frustrated, and I'm sure they are, they're not showing it uh, outwardly, which I think is a good sign. Mm-hmm. You walk in the clubhouse every day. You know, you jump on the bus with them on the road trips, you jump on the, on the team plane on the road trips, and, and these guys are pretty much the same as as they have been. Now, you know, you've got to be that way, and, and the reason I think they are that way is because they're a veteran group. They realize that, you know, what's going on right now is not necessarily what's going to be going on in September. And, you know, they've been there and done that, and they know how to win, and they know how to get to the postseason. So they have that perspective that, that maybe broadcasters or fans don't have. And I think that... That's important. So when you walk in the clubhouse, you see Miguel Cabrera still joking around. I mean, you still see Ian Kinsler, you know, messing with some of the players' kids and, you know, having fun. And uh, you still see guys walking around doing what they do every day. And I think that's a good thing because, you know, if if you sit at your locker with your head down every day because you lost again last night, well, you're never going to bust out of it. And I think these guys are, are professional enough. Um, they've been through it enough to know this is just one of those things that happens in baseball. And, Let's break out of this tonight. And if we don't break out of it tonight, we'll do it tomorrow. If we don't do it tomorrow, we'll do it the next day. And and I think you really have to have that, that approach, and I think they do. Yeah, it's, a, it's a good reminder, I think, that maybe sometimes we as fans uh, obsess over these ruts and streaks and losses maybe more so than the players do. We do. And, you know, and that's why I try and, like I told you before, I mean, sometimes we separate it because we're so concentrating on executing the broadcast. But I kind of put myself in Tiger fans, you know. Unfortunately, I can't just be a fan because I work the games, you know. But on nights like tonight when the Tigers are on national television, I'll sit in front of the TV and I'll, you know, I'll throw things to the TV too. You know, that's when I become a true fan because all I have to concentrate on is the game. Um, Or I'm a big Michigan State basketball fan. And when things go south for the basketball team, you know, I just, I freak out. Um, And then all of a sudden they're in the Final Four. And that teaches you a lesson, you know. Uh, it's just, it's a, it's a long year and you just have to maintain your composure. That's the best way I can put it. Words of wisdom from Mario Mpemba on Fox Sports Detroit. Mario, before I let you go, I have to uh, address this subject. I got to take you back to the incident 
a few weeks ago, there was a play made on the infield, and I want to say it was maybe Nick Castellanos caught the ball uh, in a rather snow cone fashion. And on the broadcast, you made the reference to the fact that he caught a snow cone. And uh, your your friend there and partner in crime, Rod Allen, asked you what your favorite flavor of snow cone, and I believe your answer was butter pecan. And (laughs) obviously, Mario, you're dealing with the subject matter expert in Rod Allen, who knows everything there is to know about snow cones. Why you didn't bail out of that at that moment, I don't know. But here's the thing. I understand you've probably been losing a lot of sleep at night over this. Over that, over that particular gaffe. So I wanted to give you the opportunity to kind of hit a home run here. And I'll ask you the question again. What is your favorite flavor of snow cone? And I'm going to tell you it's butter pecan. And you know why? Because somebody <laughs> sent me a tweet the very next day and said, look, Mario, this exists. And he showed me an article about a, some company in Kansas City that makes butter pecan snow cones. So I'm sticking with butter pecan. And I mean, <laughs> but, I, but I have to say... I have to say, when I uttered those words, and Rod just looked at me, and I'm like, I just can't believe I said butter pecan. I just can't believe it. Uh, it was it was one of the funnier moments of the year. I mean, I, I think back and I go, how bad would a butter pecan snow coat taste? But, uh, you know, it's, it, is, it is what it is. But I was vindicated by that guy that sent me the tweet saying, look, this does exist, so you don't back down on this. So I'm not going to back down. <laughs> Oh, all right. I, I mean, I admire you sticking to your guns on that one. I'm not sure if I, I was going to go ahead and contact Rod and, and give him the official acquittal and tell him that you vindicated yourself. I, I don't know if I can do that if you're going to stick with butter pecan, because like you said, even if it exists, I can't imagine you're going to enjoy that. No, I can't either. I mean, I might have been vindicated on that, but I would never eat a butter pecan snow coat. So if, I, if, I'm, forced, if I'm forced to pick a flavor, I'm going to go with cherry. So how about that? That'll, that'll make me normal, I I will I will put the call into Rod this afternoon once we get off the show. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Uh, it's been real, Mario. I really appreciate you taking the time to stop by. Uh, why don't you tell our listeners where they can find you online? Uh, Mario underscore Impemba on Twitter. Um, I'm on Facebook as well. And uh, MarioImpemba.com. So those are three spots. And, uh, you know, love interacting with fans, especially on Twitter. It's uh it's uh, it's it's something every night. It certainly is, and it's certainly more fun when we win to interact with fans. Hopefully that will start happening soon. Absolutely. Well, Mario, good luck with the rest of your day. Enjoy the day off, and I hope you will stop back and see us real soon. All right, looks like. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. All right. We'll talk to you later. And that is going to wrap it up for another episode of the Bless You Boys podcast. Thanks again to Mario and Pemba. For joining me on the show today, you can follow Mario, as he said, on Twitter, at Mario underscore Impemba. You can follow me on Twitter at HookslideBYB, or you can reach me at HookslideBYB at gmail.com. Hang in there, Tigers fans. It's a long season. And we will see you next time on the Bless You Boys podcast. Never been a corner like Michigan and Trumbull. Ha ha ha, that'll get him out of the old ballpark.